We're not crazy, the system is. Tune in to Madness Radio, Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health, Wednesdays 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on Pacifica Affiliate WXOJLPFM 103.3 Valley Free Radio. Produced by Freedom Center and the Icarus Project. Streaming live, podcasting, and archived at madnessradio.net. Thanks for tuning in to Madness Radio. This is your host, Will Hall. And today we have a guest who is calling in from Melbourne, Australia. Vera Adams is a musician and songwriter and psychiatric abuse survivor. So she's going to be talking about um, her music and creative process and experiences in uh, the psychiatric system. So welcome to Madness Radio, Vera Adams. Thank you for having me, Will. Yeah, I always like having um, artists and musicians on the show, people who uh, express um, a different way of, of healing um, through creativity, and that's something you've definitely um, done. We're going to be listening to some of your uh, some of your songs in just a moment. Maybe you can just give us a little bit of background, like when did you get into the mental health system and how did that sort of happen for you and then sort of what was the process of coming out of it and then developing a, a different um, attitude towards things? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess what happened was I was brought up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. It's It's a very mainstream normal upbringing so <laughs> there was nothing particularly um, special or unusual but um, I was always a little bit different like I'm a big metal fan for example and um, and that that wasn't really what everyone else was into I was also you know I was I read a lot I was in the library a lot and so like uh, when you of, say when you say metal fan you mean like heavy metal music is that right yeah yeah, yeah so okay I, so motorhead and sabbath and um <laughs> well a little bit before my time <laughs> <laughs> how, how old are you but, um well I'm 21 I'm dating myself with the classics of metal actually when black sabbath was around we didn't really even use the word heavy metal but um but yeah I, I could definitely hear some metal influence in your in your music i think i think listeners are going to hear that but what what bands what what bands were you listening to what were some of your favorite bands oh well that's tricky i mean i i really like metallica yeah and yeah. um i again i guess sort of i'm sort of <laughs> was brought up more on their newer stuff which i guess it, most people find a bit embarrassing they like to say that they're all about the master puppets and that, but I sort of was brought up on load. I also didn't mind grunge, um, but I, I guess my parents sort of brought me up on classical music, so you'll probably hear that also in the songs. Were you were you, were you a musician from very young age, or your parents musical? Yeah, and you were. Yeah, my my mother's a music teacher, and my grandparents were very big into opera and and that sort of thing. So it's sort of. Um, I guess I have a very classical influence, and and it doesn't really sound like metal, but if you listen carefully, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, classical influence in, in metal. There is, in, uh, in Metallica, certainly. And so so you, yeah. you're saying that you're raised in a suburb of Melbourne that's pretty mainstream and kind of uptight, and you sort of were always a little bit different and an outsider? Yeah, yeah well, I never really... I, I was always... I always did my own thing, you know? I wasn't big on conforming, and I... It wasn't a rebellious thing at all, and this is the thing I never understood, was I was just being myself and I didn't really understand, perhaps naively, that if you want to fit in, you have to conform to a certain extent. 
and I just didn't really do that. And I guess uh, that got me down. I mean, in the in in the start when primary school and that, I was quite you know I just used to go home and cry, and that was fine. Uh, but when it continued into high school, I started to think, as you do, it must be me. <laughs> so, um, as inevitably happens, you attempt suicide and then psychiatry gets involved. So that's really what happened to me. Um, so you were just sort of, you were sort of having some normal, I mean, I guess maybe normal is not the right word, but you were going through what a lot of teenagers go through. Is that, is that kind of right? I mean, just sort of the process yeah. of growing up and you know, finding who you are and then just dealing with a lot of sadness and feeling like an outsider. And eventually it ended up in a, in a suicide attempt. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And um, I'd never, I'd never even heard of psychiatry or, or antidepressants or anything like that. Um, <laughs> I, I must have been very sheltered in hindsight, but um, I, I sort of just found myself in this system where um, I was told that you know, I would never get better and I was mentally ill and that I'd need to be on these drugs. And so, of course, you take them and uh, it made me worse. And then I was tried all different ones. And after about a year, when it still wasn't working and I was, you know, I was really despairing, as you do, I think possibly. I mean, part of it's the lack of control. Part of it's the drugs, I think, uh, contribute to your, your mental state. Um, I, I just felt worse than I did at the start. So... Uh, my psychiatrist and in his infinite wisdom decided that it would be a great idea for me to have electroshocks. So, um, and I, if, when you go to my website, you'll see the squiggles. That's my brain during electroshock. I, I managed to get um, get the, the printouts. Um, so I, I think after the fifth ECT, I just sort of, I must have looked in the mirror or looked at my mum and just thought, this is crazy. I'm not crazy. This is crazy. Um, I've got to get out of this. Luckily, I had a really supportive family, and um, I found I just I found my way out. You know, it was a, it was a long process. I got off all the drugs, and then I turned around and I, I guess a lot like you and I've, you know, with a freedom centre, I thought, well, I can either get on with my life and put it behind me. I was tempted to do that, or I can I can recognize that many many people aren't so lucky as me to have a supportive family and to get out of the system and are as i say nameless um you know locked up for 20 years whether it's um you know locked up not not literally but on a community treatment order or or just drugs and i just thought that that was something that really apart from metallica's like welcome home San sanitarium from master of puppets or there's there's not a lot of songs out there that that actually talk about um, the fact that mental patients are just uh, are not really people, <laughs> you know, they're just nameless. So do you think that do you think that actually connecting with that song really helped you to have a a critical perspective and maybe say maybe see that you didn't have to look at it from the from the perspective of the doctors in the hospital that you were in? I mean, well, it's funny, you know, I didn't really connect with that particular song until later, like after I'd, I'd, um, I'd written, I'd written some of my own songs. I thought, you know, how it's just strange. Sometimes you connect with something a long time, you know, it's always been there in the background, but you've never really focused your mind on the, the meaning until you experience it yourself and, and write about it yourself. And they go, oh, hang on. <laughs> You know, that's 
that's what's already been been it's been there the whole time what do you think was really the the kind of the deciding factor because it sounds like i mean this is actually something that is familiar to me because i was also locked up and they announced okay well we've tried everything we've given you all these drugs and so we're going to give you electroshock and i didn't end up doing the electroshock it was a kind of a long um, story ended up being released because the insurance money ran out uh actually but um it sounds like i mean you went through the electroshock and then they had kind of done everything and then at some point you just kind of woke up and said hey i have to do this myself what do you think was what was the deciding factor there why is it that you were able to see that and make some steps and maybe other people don't what, what do you think was the difference there um I told you, I guess, before how I, I, I read a lot. And I think I, I, the only thing I really remember about um, being electrocuted is I was lying in this room and there was this this poster I, um, on the on the wall. It was a really high ceiling and it was of this forest. It's like we have a lot of national parks here. I think it was a Daintree rainforest. And I had that same poster in my room at home and it was like this token attempt to try and make this process really nice and comforting. And all I can think of at that point was Ernest Hemingway. And then it occurred to me that it was, it took me a while to figure it out, like a week or so, but he was, he died, you know, he killed himself. I, I don't want to end up like that. I just, I think it was a decision that I was either going to die or I was going to live. And that was, it was just this, decision that you know i didn't i didn't want to end up like like that well so you were really that that sounds so familiar to me because you were really because I, I think i personally in my own um experience i did reach that point where which is so i realized that i was like at the edge of some just total abyss and if i if i didn't pull myself together i was it was just going to be the end and for people who don't know ernest hemingway um you know i guess struggled with depression probably very much related to his alcohol use he was in psych hospitals they gave him electroshock after the electroshock and you can you can look this up because he wrote about it um he said that he had lost some of his creative ability and that's it you know i lost my day the electroshock ruined my mind i can't be creative and then he, he killed himself i mean this is one of the greatest you know considered one of the greatest novelists in in history is a is a basically a victim of uh of psychiatry so um so that was something you knew about and then you realized that you were in danger and then you just said okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pull myself out of this is that is that kind of what happened yeah oh, basically it was yeah it was that and also you know sylvia plath all these people i think you're drawn to when you're going through these these troubles you you look to the great artists and and um you know, they, they either bring you down or give you hope. I think I was listening to a little bit too much of Smashing Pumpkins at the time as well. So um, I decided that I had to turn that off as well and just, you know, get on get on with figuring out what was going on. Yeah, the Smashing Pumpkins, um, Sylvia Plath mix can be kind of, can be kind of dangerous, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. How old were you when you got, um, when you sort of made this, this turnaround? Um, I was 17, so... Yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, I was. I was pretty much done with school. I, I got through school. Well, that's an amazing. It's an amazing story. I'm glad you. I'm glad you're here with us and have 
turned yourself around, you know. Um, well, let's let's go to your first song, which I really I, I like. It has this kind of rock ballad, power power chord, sort of metal influenced sound. It's called uh, Nameless, and we'll and we'll listen to the whole thing. Oh, great! Thanks. Do you want to do you want to set it up for us, or should we just go right into it? Um, well, I can just quickly describe what what it's about. Um, okay. It's really just about uh, the experience of, of mental patients and the fact that um, unlike inmates at Guantanamo Bay, uh, Amnesty International isn't champing at the bit to go and help people that are locked up on, on involuntary treatment orders. You are nameless, don't care who you are, just a few ticked boxes and you're on our list. Think I'm singing about some fascist regime But no, I'm mouthing off about psychiatry You think it's state-sanctioned prisons at Guantanamo Bay I'm thinking locked up for 20 years and classed insane You think it's okay if she's proven bad Did you know? Yes. 
Okay, and that was Nameless by Vera Adams. And um, Vera, your, all of your music is um, downloadable from free on your website, for, for free on your website, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to make it so that everyone had access to it. Um, Vanaheim Group, uh, that's a sort of a, an Australian, I guess you'd look at it as a referral service or something, um, funded all of the songs, but they only had enough money for three. So we're hoping that um, if people can afford to donate uh, money, then we can record the next three songs as well, one of which is a real metal song. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to doing that one if I can. Oh, cool. So tell us a little bit about, um, oh, and your website is veraadams.com, V-A-R-A adams.com. So tell us a little bit about Nameless and give us a little bit more about the um, about the song. Okay. Um, well, I guess that the song, I hope that it, catches, it captures the fact that where I'm from, at least, it's really just a few ticked boxes that will change your life forever. You know, you're never going to get rid of that label that you're given. Um, so when you say tick boxes, that's kind of like an Australian version of us saying like uh, labels or check boxes, like they check off, ah, you're anxious or you're depressed and that's, and that's it. Well, I guess it's actually, and I'll be a little bit technical now because I wanted to find out all about it, uh, Section 8 of the Mental Health Act, there's a number of things that have to have to happen before you get incarcerated against your will. And um, those are the ticked boxes. And there's actually a little form that this, the authorised psychiatrist will have to check them off. And um, those are the, I guess those are really the tick boxes I'm talking about. If you, um, if you meet them, and you don't even have to be diagnosed in, in Victoria, where I'm from, you only have to appear mentally ill. Um, figure that one out. <laughs> it's just, it's really shocking. I mean, the more that I think about it, it's just amazing. You only have to appear mentally ill. Wow. That's, um, that's right. Yeah, so it sounds like maybe at least from a legal standpoint in terms of policies, things in the United States might be a little bit more um, progressive than Australia. I'm not sure I would want to, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want anybody to quote me on that, but it sounds like at least from the terms of legal protection. When you were when you were a teenager and you, you had your suicide attempt, what do you think would have helped you rather than, you know, locking you up and using force and putting a label on you and, and, and feeding you drugs and then electroshocking you? Well, I guess the simple answer would have been anything, really. Uh, it's surprising how little you need when you're a young person to pull you out of that quagmire. Um, I think just someone who understands. I think that if we had something in Australia, and I think Vanaheim Group's trying to do something, um, so just anything like the Freedom Centre that you've got there where there's somewhere that you can Google it and um, you can go somewhere where people aren't going to judge you for your behaviour or your feelings. Um, it, there's nothing here. All you have is you'll go to your GP. Um, I mean, it's, it's going into schools now. Uh, they're trying to destigmatise mental illness but really what they're doing is creating um, this class of children who will have another reason to be uh, teased and humiliated by their peers. Um, I, I guess it's kind of getting a little bit off track, but um, that, that's what it is. It's just creating any alternative to, to what is currently available. Anything at all would have helped. You know, um, I talked to one psychologist from New Zealand and he was saying his uh, studies are in psychosis and he said he has found that 
for these 15 year old boys and here they're, they're um, preemptively drugging them where that's our wonderful progressive thing in Melbourne um, with antipsychotics all a 15 year old boy needs to stop him from becoming psychotic and I use that term very loosely because that's you know um, is a friend one friend all you need is one reality check and you know it just it's so simple but there's no money in it and that's where I guess the next song Panacea is all about that um, the bias and the vested interests in, in creating this system where you can lock people up um, and drug them and and make a tasty profit from it if you're a psychiatrist or um, a drug company and that that's what disappoints me the most is it's so it's so difficult to find anything that will be an alternative and it's so difficult for anyone to speak out like I am now um, because if you are even connected to the system in any way your psychiatrist will tick those boxes again and you'll be find yourself on another community treatment order with um, you know an injection for Risperdal up your ass you know it's just unbelievable so you had you you had said before um you know preemptive drugging of of children and teenagers and ba basically what that means is that a doctor thinks you're going you're, you don't even have to be mentally ill he thinks that you're going to be mentally ill sometime in the future because you're you're showing these signs it's all it's totally unscientific but and then they want to get you on drugs basically before you have the problem because <laughs> the idea is that you're is preventive but it's of course completely a marketing thing in order to um to just give to expand the number of people who can potentially be put on these drugs. So let's um let's listen to um uh your next song Panacea. So uh we'll go to that right now. Do you want to set it up a little bit? It's more about the pharmaceutical system and uh pill companies and profits. Yeah, well it kind it kind of is, but I guess it's even more than that. It's about this universal answer, this panacea that of psychiatry and the idea that mental illness will offer a solution because if you if you find a cure if you find and I mean just the the funding that goes into finding the gene for schizophrenia or or finding the the cure for bipolar there's it's a panacea you know it's this cure all it's not even it's also about the drugs this song but it's really about this futility and lack of logic behind the pharmacology for pe problems people have in their lives and the the real bias and the real vested interest in the popularity and the success of medicalizing problems and living if that sort of makes sense okay let's listen to the song <laughs>
So that was um, Vera Adams and the song Panacea or Panacea, and um, a little bit different than than the one before, a little bit more slow. And and uh, and tell us a little bit more that about that. That's just the idea of of searching for the uh, the magic uh, cure that's going to solve the whole the whole problem. Is that really what the message that you got when you were in the system? That oh, if we just find the right drug or we just give you electroshock, that's going to cure things. That's exactly what it was. Um, it really is. And I think um, there aren't many lyrics to this song. And I've tried to choose the words that I've used very carefully because there's a lot of noise in um, in with all the with all this propaganda, you know, with the advertising. We don't have direct-to-consumer advertising in Australia. That's not allowed. You only have that in America and New Zealand. Um, but... We still have uh, organisations like Beyond Blue and Sane Australia that ha that really create this. Um, they they call it destigmatising mental illness, but what they're really doing is um, is creating stigma. They're making they're making people different, and I think that where I call it an existential nightmare, I think that um, it's the promise that belief in in a mental illness or in psychiatry or in a scientific cure to problems you have in your life will be the ultimate panacea. And I think that um, it, every, every problem that you have that will end up being causing you this uh, mental distress, uh, for want of a better term, is, is an existential problem. You know, it's, it's a problem that you have in your life or in living or or in whatever it is, and to say that, to cheapen that experience and call it an illness or say that it could be cured, I think that that's really disappointing. Um, and I suppose with this song, I wanted the song to, you know, reflect the the drugs as well. When you're on a sedative like or an antidepressant or something, it's quite an... an a dull, apathetic, empty feeling that you have inside. And I guess that's sort of what I wanted to um, create with this song. And um, it, it's, yeah, I, I guess that's really, that's really what it is about. It's about creating a feeling for the listener of what it's like to be in that space. Vera, in addition to your music and um, creating these songs, what kinds of things do you do um, today as a way of kind of dealing with your own mental health issues or dealing with anxiety or depression or the problems that maybe you, you had more of in the past? What is it that really helps you with your own wellness? Well, it's funny. I, I find playing the piano very comforting. Um, I don't have a piano at the moment because um, I'm living with my brother and I find that quite... Uh, you know, I'll go around to my parents and play theirs. But that's something that really helped me a lot. And just sort of playing whatever, playing my own songs or playing whatever um, I grew up playing. Um, that's probably one of it. Another one is making sure, and I think this is possibly something that other people might be able to relate to, not isolating yourself. I'm very good at doing that and um, retreating into my own little... Um, space and 
you know, reading books or whatever and not getting out there. And I think sometimes you have to force yourself and having having a full-time job always helps as well with that um, to make sure you're always at least doing something, you know, keeping your mind occupied so that if you sit around and it's important to be philosophical and contemplate and really self-assess, but if you if you do that too much, I think there's a particularly if you have a certain personality, I think I do, um, where you can be quite pessimistic about things. The the world is a very bleak place and it's very easy to slip into depression saying, well, I can never change anything, um, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's really just making sure you have enough sleep, the time to relax and spending time with friends and, and, and making sure that you keep up with your relationships. Has it been important to you to connect with other people who have also been in the mental health system and who have experienced psychiatric abuse and have gone through these kinds of extreme states of, of consciousness and really build a, a community of, of survivors? Has that been important for you? Um, it's funny. It, it really, it hasn't. It hasn't because the friends that I found managed to escape the system through their own friendships. Um, so... I can relate to them having exactly the same experiences, but just not in the system. And I guess that's that was more important. I think what I have done is um, sort of do a lot of research and and you know find the mind freedom and all these other places and just read about it and and sort of I think what Oryx is doing with with those um, oral histories is wonderful because that's uh, really something that. Um, it's a resource that people who come out of the system can go to and say, wow, I'm not alone, and then maybe you know, either connect with people or get on with their own life. And I guess what I've done is, is just you know, hang out with people who did have similar experiences at school and we're outsiders and sort of be outsiders together, so you're not anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and you guys, um, you got funding to, to produce this uh, music through some mental health charity or through the mental health system there or how did that because you, you mentioned a group uh, before the Va the Vanaheim group or something Vanaheim group is a private company um Megan is probably better to talk to about it than than me but um she founded it in Australia if you want to get any tax concessions or anything like that you have to toe the party line as it were and she refuses to do that so she's put up her own money basically um, that's that's the way it's happened. So you find it. So you sort of found a charitable benefactor to help you out with your producing your music, which is great. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, we'll we will make a return together. She's said that we'll put all the money up to um, the next three songs into making the next three songs, and then if there's any money left over, then you know we'll share that. So that's really that's really good because otherwise there's no way that these songs would be produced can you imagine any record company wanting to take a chance on this sort of music i don't think so right well let's go on to the next song which is a bit more um, a bit more hopeful it's called trees do you want to tell us uh, tell us about that yeah um trees is a very classical song i suppose it's the most classical of the three probably reflecting the fact I was brought up on Bach and Mozart. So it's a very pretty song, but it's very it's a very sad and confronting topic, I think. Suicide, obviously, as you'll, you'll hear. 
Um, it was inspired by um, a girl who would probably be about a few years younger than me now. She, she hanged herself in a park and that was because of what happened to her. She was locked away. Um, I read it in the newspaper. She was locked away in the lock ward at the Alfred and um, and in the Hyde Pensy unit. Um, sorry, not the Alfred, the Austin Hospital. And they just treated her so badly that when she got out, she just couldn't take it, you know, 15 years old. And I thought she, you know, so many people with suicide will go and hang themselves by themselves in the trees. And as you'll hear, uh, the song's sort of about that metaphoric metaphor, you know, that philosophical question, which is if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear, will it make a sound? And it's, it's the same thing about this loneliness of suicide. The philosopher's muse, if no one's there to hear the tree that falls, it may not make a sound. But I heard on the news you hang yourself with no one there to hear except the trees. Did they hear?
That was Trees by Vera Adams. Vera, am I am I totally off saying that there's a hopeful side to that? Because I know it's a very dark subject, but it, it feels like also like a hopeful song to me. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a song I think is it should hopefully give the listener a lot of hope that each of us can do something by lighting a candle. Um, that little that little um, last line, light a candle of truth and decency, let those that seek to change their thinking come to you, is actually a quote from Kevin McCready. That I, I found. Um, he was the guy who founded the San Joaquin Psychotherapy Centre in Fresno. It's now the um, Sequoia Psychotherapy Centre. And I just loved that idea that you can light a candle of truth and decency, that you don't have to go out there and bash people over their head with the things that you've discovered in your own journey. You can have it out there. And if people want to find it, then it's there for them. So that's really what it's about. It's about saying one day if everyone who, you know, maybe listens to my songs or or goes to the Freedom Centre or has their own experiences can just light that candle, um, suddenly when people come out of the system, they might be, you know, further inspired to do whatever whatever their skill happens to be, if it's writing papers, if it's writing um, songs or poetry or anything or starting their own center you know that's that's lighting a candle or even just saying to someone on the train hey um this is what happened to me because i i know i've talked to a few people who do that and they get an unbelievably great response from it um yeah so that that's the hopeful part of that song what's been the reaction of your your family and your friends and the people who have heard your music what's been sort of the reception of the message that you're you're spreading well it's funny i don't i don't really talk about it too much with um i've got a few very close friends and they're very very supportive and they're the ones who stuck with me through the whole saga you know they came and visited me in in the psych ward and they were very supportive they didn't really understand it i remember one of my girlfriends saying uh she was the only one who said do you want to um, do this? You know, do you want to do this? And um, so, yeah, she's really supportive. Um, but, yeah, my, my family has been really supportive about it too. Have you been able to get um, airplay and getting um, any kind of interest in the music? Is it, is it spreading? Um, I've got a little bit. Uh, it, this is really the start of it. I haven't done a lot of advertising. But, um, yeah, this is really the start. I'm hoping that um, with this interview, hopefully people will sort of more, um, yeah, they'll they'll sort of connect with the songs and tell other people and it'll spread that way. And having having them available for free, I think, is a great way to get things out there at Vera Adams. Dot, um, dot com. So what um, if there are people who are listening to the show today, maybe especially young people, and, and maybe they're struggling with some of the same kinds of sadness and 
sense of being an outsider that you you experience what what kinds of things would you would you tell them to sort of help them through whatever kind of difficulty or crisis that they're going through um i suppose that i suppose the main thing would be just don't accept everything that people tells you um that's what i did i just accepted what people told me and um they were wrong you know i accepted what people said about me don't don't if you if you have a, a reservation about what's being done to you don't don't accept that um try and get as many second opinions as you can not from psychiatrists because they'll all give you the same opinion most likely um yeah try and try and get support i think if you're in america you've got some great resources you've got the freedom center it might not be in your state you've got mind freedom you've got things that are online you know and if you if you email people they will respond to you if they don't try someone else but there's tremendous support out there and i think that that young people don't realize that um that's that's there you know and i certainly didn't know that was there um and i think that would have made a difference to me as well are things starting to change in Australia? Do you think that um, maybe this from the time that you were in the hospital and, and today there's a little bit more opening or alternative or more compassionate thinking, or are you worried that maybe things are going in the opposite opposite direction? Oh, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that just concerns me so much, and this is one of the reasons I've done this, is that it's, it's getting worse. It really is. Um, there's more funding. There's There's more emphasis in schools on your mental health and by mental health it's not about wellness it's about getting treated and by treatment it, it's de de determining what mental illness you have and treating it with pharmaceuticals accordingly they'll say that there's a holistic approach but um, that's in my experience and and in the people I've spoken to and just in the literature you read the holistic approach is a joke. It's not like, um, you know, you'll have a token visits to psychologists. The, the one good thing the government did do was um, put psychologists on Medicare, uh, which means that you get a rebate. But psychologists are trained these days on science. At least in, in Australia, you do a, a Bachelor of Science in psychology. Um, and yeah, it's, I think that it's it's very bleak, but I think that um, I think it could be changed. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of interesting things going on in human rights, like with Tina Minkowski um, putting through that that um, that charter for people with disabilities. Um, right, the um, the international all the efforts that have been gone on of the the disability rights convention around um, that includes mental health has been really inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think the problem with that is, um, I mean, perhaps I'm cynical, but I, I worry that it's it's really just um, tokenism here, not not necessarily there. But like we've got this this new charter of human rights in Victoria that everyone's really excited about, but I'm really not because um, the government has this plenary power to decide that it doesn't apply, and what sort of a charter is that if the, the government can determine that it doesn't apply it doesn't apply to mental patients by the way it doesn't apply if you're 
you you know you you meet the section eight requirements so yeah that that's what makes me depressed i guess as soon but, as you um, uh, as soon as you you meet the tick boxes then suddenly you lose your your rights no i think it's i think it's smart to be to be skeptical what are some of the um uh, other topics for songs that you've got in the works that might be coming soon on your on your website. Uh, yeah, well, I've got um, I've got three more songs. I've actually got a couple more that I might end up doing just depending on the funding. Um, I've got a metal one that's really just a message to my psychiatrist, which is saying, you know, you can't stop me, um, and it's very very angry but very defiant. And saying, you know, this is what you did to me, but, um, you know, I'm free from your clutches. And hopefully it'll be an empowering song for other people as well, not just for me. Um, uh, there's another one, Psychopathy, which is really, um, yeah, I'm ambivalent about that song. Uh, I sort of look at it and think maybe it needs a bit more work. But at the moment, it's it's a very much what it's like to just be sitting there in the chair Um talking to your psychiatrist and he's not really listening and no one's really listening and no one really understands what it's like to be you and then the last one is is sort of a more classical one just saying um that you know you can't that you know you have to be you have to keep striving to to change things until the day that you die because if you don't who else is going to do it so hopefully that'll be inspiring as well Vera, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been really interesting talking to you and listening to um, your music. So thanks for, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Yeah, you've been listening to Vera Adams, who's a musician who's calling us from Melbourne, Australia. And you can actually download her music um, about psychiatric um, survivor issues and the mental health system for free at her website, which is Vera Adams. Dot com. That's about all the time we have this week on Madness Radio. Thanks a lot for tuning in. You've been listening to Madness Radio, voices and visions from outside mental health. Madness Radio is broadcast every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, on Pacifica Affiliate, WXOJLPFM 103.3 Valley Free Radio in Northampton, Massachusetts. For our live internet stream, podcasting, show archives, and more, visit madnessradio.net. Madness Radio is co-produced by Freedom Center and The Icarus Project. For more information, check out freedom-center.org and theicarusproject.net. For more mental health radio, listen to the news hour from mindfreedom.org, Wednesdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have an idea for a story or guest on Madness Radio, or you just want to share what's in your head, contact us at radio at madnessradio.net. KWMD, Kasilov. 90.7, Anchorage, 104.5.